0: hi this is rob podcast this is our q a where we look at questions through the lens of scripture our desire is to know what god's word says so that we can know what to believe if you have a question you can write the word question before your question write out your question reread it a couple of times make sure that it makes sense and then go ahead and submit it our desire is to know what god's word says so that we can know what to believe setting our hearts and minds on the word of god rightly dividing rightly dividing his truth The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scriptures given by the inspiration of God is profitable for reproof, for correction, for doctrine, that the man of God could be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is, that we lack nothing. Everything that we need for life and godliness comes to us from the pages of scripture. So we wanna have the authority of the Bible underneath everything that we do. Now, if you have any questions, you're welcome to ask them this is a supplement to the teaching ministry of calvary chapel of tucson uh where if you're listening to any of our studies or any of the videos that we put out and you have questions about them feel free to ask them but you can also ask questions about apologetics and about prophecy uh, whatever it is that you would like you really drive this show the direction that uh truth quest podcast goes uh, at least our q a all right so our first question comes from a question that was asked in our last Q&A about a passage out of Matthew chapter 11. It'd been a long time since I covered it, so I thought I'd take some time to look at it and then cover it in more detail. So this is in the context in Matthew 11 of John the Baptist. John has been put in prison and his disciples come to Jesus and say, are you the one or should we look for another? And Jesus says, go and tell him what you've seen. Lepers have been cleansed, uh, the lame have been healed, and the poor have had the gospel preached to them. So these are signs of the Messiahship from the Old Testament. And so then when they leave, he turns to the crowd and says, I tell you that John is greater than any of the prophets, but he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he what amazing words these are that he tells us and then he talks about john the baptist being the forerunner the one who would go before him and be the one who would who, who would um well it says in verse 10 uh i'm going to put up here for you behold i send my messenger before you who will prepare a way before you then he says truly i say to you among those born among women there is arisen no one greater than john the baptist yet one who was least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he Think about that position that we have in Christ. Why are we greater? Because the Holy Spirit is inside of us, because we are co-heirs together with Christ, because we are children of God. And then he says, this is the question. For the days of John, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Now there's a couple of different ideas as to what Jesus meant by this. What we know he didn't mean was that we're supposed to be violent, that we take the kingdom of God by force. So some believe that he's using an analogy that he's talking about those that are pressing into the kingdom of God. Many went out to the wilderness to see John the Baptist and many will follow Jesus for a while. Then the crowds left, but then at Pentecost with the gospel preached, 3,000 got saved in one day. And so it's thought that this is an analogy where he says, again, I'm gonna read it to you, where he says, um, verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence an analogy of everybody coming into the kingdom of God, and the violent take it by force, meaning that you have to make a decision to follow after Christ and live for him. Now, I hear that, and that may be correct. That might be the right interpretation of this. I know that Jesus said things in a way that would often make us really think about it, but that's the ESV. I want to pull up for you the uh, NIV. Listen to what it says here. It says... From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. And so some think, because of the wording, that he's talking about those that are attacking his work. He's talking about those who are trying to stop the kingdom, those who will have him killed, those who are attacking John the Baptist. The problem with this view is that they don't really get to raid the kingdom of heaven so it does look like this is an analogy where he's talking about those who are pressing into the kingdom of god not that we are violent but we are like those who violently want to get in and it may be talking also about you and i coming into the kingdom of god that it's got to be serious that we leave deny ourselves pick up our cross and follow him that this is as it were an analogy of a violent act we are killing the old man, and we are living for Christ. We are burying the old man. We are di- we've are we died with him, we're buried with him, and we are now living with him, which the Bible tells us clearly that this is the case. When we become a Christian, it's not just that we've received Christ and now we've been born again, and it's that we now are followers of Jesus. We now have become disciples of Christ. And so it looks like That is an analogy, although there are those who don't believe it is that he's talking about the enemies that are pushing their way into the kingdom. All right. So uh, let's see. I'm going to take our first question here, besides the one that I brought with me. Um, Andre says, concerning um, Micah's vision, who or what was the spirit that volunteered and pitched his idea to the Lord um, to be a lying spirit. All right, Andre. So um, this is what is considered to be the counsel of God. And and God is is discussing with angels around him um, how he shall handle a certain situation. And there's a spirit that comes up and says, well, I'll be a lying spirit. And God tells him that he can go and do it. Now, Dr. Michael Heisler thinks that this is a council of spiritual beings that he would call Elohim, that Elohim's are are like gods, but they're not like the God that God Yahweh is an Elohim, the supreme being. He's not saying like the Mormons that there's a bunch of different gods. He's saying that we have a misinterpretation of the word Elohim and that this is a council of spiritual beings that he created to serve with him. I disagree with that interpretation. I think that God did create angels to serve with him in the celestial kingdom, like he created Adam and Eve to have dominion and serve with him on the earth. I think that he shares his rulership with angels and with with men. As far as Elohims, I know that when Samuel comes out of the ground, He's called an Elohim, a spirit. Um, And there are other references that use the word differently. However, those are exceptions to the overwhelming use of the word Elohim, which means the God, the one true God. In the beginning, Elohim, the God, God created the heavens and the earth. They translated that correctly. Didn't say one of the gods, but God. And I think that's important for us to understand. I think it creates a lot of confusion. I know Dr. Dr. Heiser is um, knows the Bible very well, but I've studied his interpretation of this. So I would think that these spirits that are around there are angels, and I think it would be best for us to call them spirits to save to save confusion. Uh, it is not. It is. It is a few places that are put together to make that stand and statement. All right. So thank you, Andre. I appreciate your question. Um, we've got another one from Facebook and this is too big to put on here. So let me just read this. It says, uh, follow up. Does God have an op- uh, opinion? All right. On which denomination or interpretation of God's word is correct. So does God have an opinion? I'm not even sure that God has an opinion. Oh, it's from, okay. It's from Jari. All right. So, um, yeah, on which denomination and interpretation is correct. Um, when we all stand before God could. Could the Pentecostal denomination turn out to be the correct 100% since only God knows everything, but almost correct. Okay, so this is this is pretty long. Um, I'm going to just answer that part of the question that I've read already. And thank you um, for putting this up. Um, so Yes, God has an opinion, but God's opinion is the right one. Right. So God does have an opinion like, I think this is what that is. God's like, this is the truth. And what God says is the truth. And do I think that the Pentecostal church could be 100 percent the right one? No, I don't, because I don't think there's any denomination that is 100 percent the right one. I think denominations are carnal. Uh, In the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he said, I've heard there's divisions among you. Some say I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Christ. And he goes, and I believe this, but did Paul die for you? So even the ones who were saying I'm of Christ were wrong because they were putting themselves above their brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we have a lot of denominations, but that doesn't mean they're not carnal. This is really important. So you say, well, what about Calvary Chapel, where you're you're a pastor of a Calvary Chapel? I do think that Calvary Chapel has arisen because of all of the differences that are in the body of Christ. And I think that it can become a prideful thing as well. And it would be carnal for me to be committed to Calvary Chapel and not to Christ. I'm committed to Christ, first of all. I, I am a leader in Calvary Chapel but i am a follower of christ and i will always put christ first and you'll never hear me talking as if calvary chapel is above other denominations i believe in what we do and i love that the beginning of calvary chapel on the back of every single bulletin this is this is when there were hundreds of calvary chapels across the united states at the on the back of every bulletin it said we are not opposed to denominations only their overemphasis on differences that have divided the body of christ that's the beginning of Calvary Chapel. Now, we have differences that have caused division in the body of Christ as well. That's happened. It's it's hard to escape it and to be identified with a group that has certain distinctions, and Calvary Chapel has certain distinctions. So no, I do not believe that the Pentecostal church is 100% right. I don't believe Calvary Chapel is 100% right. I don't believe any denomination is. All right, so thank you very much. Let me just kind of um, scan here and see if there's anything else on here. Um, So, yeah. Um, All right, we're gonna go on and uh, take another question from uh, Danielle Johnson. Danielle says, and good to see you, Danielle. Good to have you here with us. Um, Are we all children of God? Are we born a child of the devil? Because John 3.16 says, but only those who are born again are the children of God. But weren't we made in his vision? All right. thanks, Danielle. I appreciate your question. And so, yeah, the Bible says that God created male and female in his image, and every one of us is created in his image. And when you and and he even told us if you kill somebody, a person, then you will be put to death because you killed somebody made in the image of God. So there is a way that a non believer has been created in the image of God, someone who doesn't know God has been created in his image. However, because we have fallen into sin and because we have a sin nature now we are no longer following him now am i a child of the devil before i come to christ it depends jesus said to the scribes and pharisees you are of your father the devil why because they had rejected the truth they didn't want to follow the truth they weren't looking for the messiah they were looking out for their own power for their own desires for their own things they weren't looking out for Christ. But if you are one who is looking for Christ, like Cornelius, who God sent Peter to him so that when he heard the truth, he accepted it, then you are a child of God. And I think that's a really important point. I'm not saying that God chooses you or, or to be saved or not to be saved. I'm saying that you have been given certain light. And if you are looking for the truth and receiving that light, and living for Christ until you hear of Him, I don't know that you're specifically a child of the devil. I think we could say of those that are rebellious against God that they are. Uh, John three sixteen does say um, that we become uh, a child of God. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that would ever believe in Him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Now John 1.7 uh, excuse me, John 1, 12 says, as many as receive Him, He gives the right to become a child of God to those who believe in his name. And we're told in Galatians that we have been adopted into the family of Christ and we are co-heirs together with him. He is the firstborn, meaning that he has the right of the firstborn, he inherits everything and we are co-inheritors with Christ. And so, and and then it goes on to say in that same passage, there is no male and female, no slave or free, meaning all of us are co-heirs with the firstborn and we have everything. So, um, yeah, we were made in the image of God. And if a person is rebelling against God, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and I give them eternal life. So that doesn't mean that you're a sheep before you have believed in Christ, because God has chosen you. It means you're a sheep that's looking and you and you hear his voice, and you go. That's what I've been looking for. You're looking for the truth. You're wanting to follow him. And I think that this is a really important point. Um, and that's what Jesus means when he says, "My sheep hear my voice, and I give them eternal life." Because there are those that when they are, who are right now, there are those who are ready to give their lives to Christ. When you when you share the gospel with them, right now. There are people that are that want to hear and are ready. And there are people who won't believe even if you give them the gospel. And those who won't believe even if you give them the gospel are of their father, the devil. Those who will receive the gospel, who will hear it. They're just waiting to hear it. They hear it and then they get saved. I wouldn't say that they are children of the devil. All right. Thanks, Danielle. I appreciate that. And good to have you here, by the way, um, for our Q&A. So she has a part two to it. Let's just hear. Um, Part two. I had heard this and just wanted some clarification. Thank you. Yep. I appreciate that. And I can understand that, Um, that it would be a a little confusing uh, to hear about that. But I think that those religious leaders, they weren't his. They, they had decided not that they, they were living for themselves and not looking for the truth at all. I think it's different for someone who is looking for the truth. I'm not saying they're saved already. I'm saying they're looking for the truth and when they hear the gospel, they will receive it and they will become saved. So we have a question from Psychman, And good to see you Psychman. Man. I'm not sure if you're back yet, but good to see you. Good to have you back online. Um, I saw this, does one need to believe in Jesus, that Jesus is God to be saved? I think this is a pretty easy no what do you think mr robert thanks uh good to be back with you all good to have you back with us as well does one need to believe that jesus is god in order to be saved i'm going to get a little bit more complicated with you psych man i don't know that if someone has to hear of jesus accept what he's done for him become a follower of him and believe in him and know right then and there that he's God. But if you think it through, how can he be one who died on the cross, mediates for us all, who is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, who gives us all eternal life without being God? So the very things that Jesus does has to be God that is doing them. So sooner or later, you're gonna to come to believe that he's God where I say the difficulty could come in, I might be a Christian, not know Jesus is God and be a genuine Christian. However, if I if I'm a Christian, and I say Jesus is not God, then I don't know that I'm a Christian, I would think I'm not. If you say no, Jesus is not God, maybe if you have a misunderstanding in your mind that needs to be clarified. But the person you have to follow is not a different Jesus. The Bible says that people are going to come teaching a different Jesus. If, if the Jesus they preach is not God, then that is a different Jesus. And so you have to receive the Jesus that is preached. That's why it's so devastating when people say that the Mormons believe and follow the same Jesus that we follow, because they don't. They believe in one that was created a God and progressed to be God, not the creator of heavens and earth. The Bible clearly declares Jesus as God. God even calls the Son of God, God in Hebrews chapter one, Jesus said before Abraham was, I am the child who would be born to the Virgin would be called Emmanuel, that is God with us. The child that would be born, the child that would be given would be called mighty God. Uh, In the beginning was the word and the words with God and the word was God and everything was created by him, through him and for him. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word that was God became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the case for the deity of jesus is so strong that if you begin or you make a stand jesus isn't god then that means you're you're trusting in a different jesus so could someone be new to the faith or never consider or know that jesus is god and just trust in him and be saved yes i think they could be however once you've become a christian if you go down the road of saying Jesus isn't God, then it probably is a good revelation that you never really committed your life to Christ in the first place, because the Bible is so clear about what God is. All right. Um, So we have a a second question from Jari, because we had a question come in um, from him. First of all, Uh, Jari says, what does it mean when it says no more thorns or thistles? Is this literal? Animal and plants won't have defense mechanisms they had after the fall. Cactus without thorns, thanks. Yes, Um, Jari, I believe that's what it means. Um, I think that there is a, and you didn't put the reference down, but I think it's talking about the time after the restoration of the world in what we would call the millennium period, the thousand year reign of Jesus and that there will be no more thorns and thistles um, because they won't need it maybe they need it now but they don't need they will not need it then uh, we have a question from uh, i'm not gonna try to say your name is it um yeah i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna let it go um, but we have a question from uh, facebook and it's good to have you here with us it's the first time you're here i think um i feel that god has called me long before i was saved if true is this god or the holy spirit or jesus doing this pull did you begin because a baby baptized and or does the distinction of whom is pulling matter yes thank you i appreciate your question and so here's what the bible says john 644 um let me go ahead and put this up on the screen um john 644 john 644 all right and I'll put it up on the screen for you. So this is Jesus speaking and Jesus says here, Jesus answered, no one can come to the father unless the father who sent me draws them. So in order for you to be saved, there has to be a drawing of the father. Now, not everyone who is draw, who's drawn by God makes a commitment. That's never said here. That's what some people assume, they, they read into the text. But what it does say is everybody that's been drawn has been drawn by the father. And then I and I will raise him up in the last days. It doesn't mean that everyone who is drawn will be raised up in the last days, but it does mean anyone who's come to Christ. So let's read it again. No one can come to me. So the one who is raised up in the last days is the one who's come to Christ. Unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last days. That's because he's come to Christ, that he will be raised up in the last days. But it is God who is the one who does the justification and the drawing. So we are always a responder. Jesus said this in Revelation three twenty: Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. So he stands at the door and knocks and he waits for us to open. And only those who open are going to be saved. Just because he knocks doesn't mean that everyone's going to be saved. Now, I I'm gonna to relate to you. I mean, I was baptized as a baby um, in the Methodist Church. I don't know if you were baptized as a baby. Maybe you said, did it begin because of a baby baptism? So you were baptized as a child, so it's just same as me. I did have a feeling that I belonged to God before I ever committed myself to Him. But I, at the first opportunity at 14 years old that I learned that I needed to be born again and that believing in God was more than just believing that He existed, I gave my life to him. And so I was ready to hear, I was ready to believe. And in that sense, I wasn't rebelling against him. I don't think it's because I was baptized as a baby, but I think it's because I wanted to follow God, I just didn't know how it was. And so I had to hear the message of the gospel to be able to surrender my life to Christ, to be able to pray those prayers, give myself to him, follow after him, and become a follower and a disciple of Jesus. Um, Now you say in the beginning of this question, I feel that God has called me long before I was saved. And that may very well be true. God may have been calling you for a long time, but calling you doesn't mean salvation it doesn't mean you have to be saved if true is god the holy spirit or jesus doing this pull so yes i showed that already the father draws us and that's what you would use as the term pull so you are were being called by god just as i was being called by god before but not everyone who calls many are called but few are chosen who are the chosen those who believe in jesus those who trust in him as their lord and savior And it's very biblical to say that. I know a lot of people argue against the whole Lord and Savior idea, but he is your Lord when you will do what he says, and he is your Savior when he has saved you from your sins. And so that is when you receive him, when you accept him, when you become a follower of Christ and you are born again by the work of God. But many are called and few are chosen. You just can't read into that chosen, the, you know, chosen before the foundations of the world, indiscriminately by God, just whoever he wanted, to. you just can't read that into it. Many are called, but few are chosen. The qualification of the chosen is those who believe in him and are called in him. All right, so thank you very much. Sorry, I couldn't even want to try to say your name. All right, we have a, a question from R. Richard, and good to have you here with us. And uh, if you're here for the first time, really glad to have you here. If you want to ask a question, all you've got to do is write it in the comment section, put the word question in front of it. That'll help me as I'm scrolling through the questions to be able to identify it as a question, and then write out your question and reread it, make sure it makes sense, and then we'll do our best uh, to answer the question that you've been given. Um, So R. Richard says, in a conversation doing evangelism, how would you answer the question of who created God? Thank you, Rod, um, R, I appreciate that. Um, I would say that God is the uncaused cause. He is the one who created everything. He has ev- ever existed, he, will, he has always existed, he will always exist. That God created time. And when you think about, when you think about the question of um, who created God, No one created him because God created time, and he lives outside of the realm of time. Now, it's hard for us to understand that because we live in time. When I was 12 years old or so, I would lay in my front yard in Albuquerque. They had grass in Albuquerque. They don't necessarily have grass here in Tucson, not much of it anyway. And I would look up at the stars, and I would think, the universe has to have a beginning, but it can't have a beginning. It has to have a beginning, but it can't have a beginning. And God has to have a beginning, but can't have a beginning. Has to have a beginning, and can't have a beginning. I was right about one and wrong about the other. God lives outside of time. He created the time, space, matter continuum. It's like when I when I was a a teenager, went and bought all this stuff to make a fish tank and I created the fish tank and I put fish in them. Now, I didn't create those fish, but I created the environment that they were in. And when they saw me coming, they would get excited. They knew something about me and I put food in there. And so they would get excited and come to the edge when they would see me coming when I was going to feed them, and they, they knew it was time to eat or time to feed. But they had no understanding of the world I lived in, nor could they even begin to comprehend that. They knew of me, but they didn't know the world I live in. God lives outside of time and he is transcendent, meaning he is above our thoughts. It's just hard to understand whom God is. So that's how I would answer the question, who created God? I would say no one created God. God is the uncaused cause he's the cause of everything and nothing created him at all that would be that would be my answer and i think it's a and i think it's a good one because he lives outside of time and he's the one who created it um so i'll give you another example i would also use a verse and let me go ahead and go here um because if, well, we want to be able to go to scripture to be able to prove our points right and so here in john chapter one I I quote this all the time, but let me just go ahead and read this because it answers this question directly about who created God. So um, let's see, um, download, sure, no, uh, all right. Let me go to the New King James. All right, so let me go ahead and read this to you. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. That means Jesus couldn't have been created. It means God couldn't have been created. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was God, He created all things, and without Him, nothing that was made was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. and light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Then we go down to verse 14. Now this Word, that is God, and that created all things, in verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. All right, so it's it's biblical as well, that we have, that God cannot have been created. And so that's how I would answer it. So I appreciate it, I appreciate your question. And uh, if you are here and you're, you're new, good to have you, uh, you can write a question and you can, put the word question in front of it or question mark, and then write out your question, reread it a couple of times, make sure it makes sense, and then add any references. Because a lot of times, context, we go to it and we we get the answer right from context. We don't have to make any conjectures. Uh, Sometimes we don't have to go to any other passages. We can just go right to it. And um, so so that's the question about being born a child of God. Uh, Good to have, again, good to have you here. So we have someone else who's new. Uh, We have WDCF31674. Uh, Good to have you with us. I need to know if we will be condemned to hell for living together without marriage. We're in in our twilight years, so there's, yeah, no (laughs) hanky-panky. All right, okay, so um, thank you. I appreciate that WDC F three, one, six, seven, four. We are not condemned to hell. For anything we do. We are condemned to hell because we are sinners and we sin. But to be forgiven, we confess our sins. And if we love God, we're going to want to do what he says. And so if we are going to be involved with someone with hanky panky, then we want to be married to them. So you guys are living together. Is it, is it purely, I guess, if, if they're, if you're in your twilight years, so there's no hanky panky, um, I don't know. You know, you guys are in the same bed. You're probably presenting yourself as being married. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to answer a no to I need to know if I will be condemned to hell uh, for for living together without being married. I don't think that God will condemn you to hell for that. I think you guys should be married. And it's so easy to do these days. Um, We would do it for you. uh, And I'm sure that a church would do it for you with with an office ceremony where you just come down and say, you know, we're living together. We aren't involved sexually, but we want to just make sure we're right before God. Now, if your conscience says that you were in sin and you continue to do it, it's still sin. And so is it possible for a man and a woman to live together and to not be married and not to be involved romantically? Sure. Brothers and sisters live together all the time. I'm going to take it that you guys have stronger feelings than that to, than to one another. I don't know what twilight years mean, so I'm not quite sure how old. I would encourage you, WDCF three one six four seven four, to get married, to to make that commitment, and um, and, and and I think that God will honor you for making for making that commitment, so that there's not any even evil, any evil, anything that looks evil. Don't let even let evil be named among you anything that looks like it's not right like they're not married and they're living together and then you could explain well we aren't involved sexually you know whatever i'm 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 this old we're not involved sexually and which i don't think anybody could argue then that you would have a violation because i don't know that it says it doesn't say anywhere that a man and a woman can't move in together i just think the reality of moving in together and not being involved sexually is probably not very realistic, no matter how old you are. And I'm not saying you're lying to us. I'm just saying it's not realistic. If you love somebody, you're attracted to them, you're living together, even though you're older, that there would be no hanky panky, maybe. All right. So hopefully uh, that is a difficult question to answer, but I want to answer according to what the Word of God says. I don't want to answer what I think it should say or what I think somebody else would want me to answer. I want to answer really with what the scriptures say. And so the, the the prohibition between a man and a woman is premarital sex. And, and most, I've heard people say that they, they have not had sex before, and most of the time I wouldn't believe it, but I don't know how old the twilight years here are. So the answer is no, you will not be condemned to hell for living together. You will be condemned to hell because you don't know Jesus. And then if you know Jesus, You're going to do what he wants you to do because you've met him and now you're born again. And the evidence that you've been born again is that you want to do what he says. All right. And I think I think I would um, encourage you to get married. I don't know all the situations. I don't know why you don't want to get married. I do know that some people sometimes have certain reasons they don't want to get married. But I think that those things could all be put to the side. And you could find yourself, you know, if, if, if even if it costs you a sacrifice, it, it costs us sacrifices to live for God. And even putting those things to a side and causing somewhat of a sacrifice, I think would be good. So I would encourage you to get married, but I don't think that you'd be condemned to hell living together and not having any hanky panky. All right. WDCF three, one, six, seven, four. I appreciate it. So we have a question from Albert. Albert, uh, good to see you, Albert. Albert says, hello, Pastor. You've spoken about the gift of myrrh Jesus received, symbolizing his death. Um, Could gold, frankincense, and myrrh also symbolize his roles as a priest, prophet, and king? So gold would be kingly. Uh, Priest would be frankincense because frankincense was used. No, uh, uh, Priest would be myrrh. Let me think. So the, the, the incense that was burned in the temple and the oil that was used to anoint things was made from, I think it was myrrh. It was made from either frankincense or myrrh. I'm just going to have to go that way because my memory is not good enough to remember which one it is. And so that would be priest, prophet. Why would myrrh or frankincense be a representation of the prophet? That would be my question. I understand priest. I understand I understand um, king, but prophet. And he was indeed a priest, prophet, and king. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Interesting question, uh, one that I like to look into. I'm just gonna have to give you the dreaded I don't know because I don't know how frankincense could represent a prophet, and I don't know how myrrh could represent a prophet. Myrrh had to be crushed in order to give out of it its fragrance um, so uh, a, a little bit more to look into it. I think that's interesting and uh, worth taking some time to look into it. And I thank you for it. Sorry that I don't have the answer for it because I can't figure that out. Um, so we have a, a, a question from Rod. Rod says, and good to see you Rod, by the way. Good to have you here again. Rod says, um, will the mark come out in mid tribulation where does the bible say that well i think the mark of the beast is revelation 11 right is that right or is it no, 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 no that's the um that's the witnesses maybe it's 13 the beast out of the sea um and the beast from the earth ah uh, I, I don't know the reference here. Um, I don't know what the reference is, Rod um, but yeah um, the Antichrist comes out on the scene and he comes out as a conqueror and he comes out he's given a grand which he, he could say grand words and he wins people over. He's wearing a stephanus a, a, a we a woven crown in Revelation chapter six uh, that is the winner's crown. So he's won, he's conquered, he's victorious, and the whole tribulation period, from beginning to end, he's revealed in the very beginning, and he's killed at the very end of it. It has to do with the Antichrist. Um, And so he demands that people take a mark in order to buy or sell, And and that has to be sometime during the tribulation period. I'm not exactly sure where in the tribulation period it is, without knowing the reference and being able to go and look and try to reference it, how close is it to the abomination of desolation, which would be at the three and a half year mark after the temple is rebuilt? By the way, that tells us that just like the Bible prophesied that Israel would be a nation again in the last days, that God would call them from the north, the south, the east and west, and then in the latter days, they would be a nation with power and strength. It says the temple will be rebuilt as well. So we can be assured that the temple will be rebuilt. And maybe, maybe it'll happen in our lifetime. Maybe it will happen during the tribulation period. Um, But yeah, the mark does come out somewhere in the middle of the tribulation period. I'm not sure that it marks the exact middle of it. And when I get the reference, or I'll take some time to look it up a little bit later on, um, I'll be able to uh, answer that question a little bit better. What I would want to know is where does the Bible say it before, I mean, does Revelation say it before or after the abomination of desolation? Which would be, as far as i understand at the midway point oh uh, so we have another question uh, from dolly dolly thanks for giving your nickname i appreciate that i love jesus so much and want to share the gospel but i don't feel confident enough to initiate explain the gospel any suggestions on how to witness effectively thank you pastor thank you dolly i really appreciate you being here and asking your question uh so Jesus told the disciples, wait in Jerusalem, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And it's no surprise then that in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, that Peter stands up, gives a message, he becomes a witness for Christ, gives a message, and 3,000 people get saved. So you are empowered by the Holy spirit to be a witness. And what I would ask for Dolly, if I were you would be Lord, fill me with your spirit. Let me be light. Let me be salt. I've been given the keys to the kingdom. I want to share my faith, open up doors to be able to effectively share my faith because there's one thing to go out in the world and kind of push against things and, and look for ways to share your faith. You know, someone says to you, I used to use the example of a carburetor, but cars don't have carburetors anymore. Um, but somebody says to you, um, I don't know, it could be anything. You see that football game last night? That was an amazing end. You know, they, they came through at the very end and won that game. That was amazing. And you could say, well, you know what? At the end of your life, you're gonna have to, you know, not wanna have an amazing end to be able to, to have victory. You wanna have victory now by giving your life to Jesus. So that would be kind of pushing the issue. And although that might be effective, who knows, they might hear it and receive it. What I look for is open doors. I'm building relationships with people, and then I look for a door to be open for me to be able to share my faith. And I pray that God would open up doors around me to do it. So I'm not kicking in doors, I'm waiting for doors to be open. And the Bible often talks about an open door being given to be able to share your faith. And so that's what we're looking for. And Dolly, I would just let God know that. I would look for opportunities to be able to share your faith. Um, I have been surprised when I have shared with people. And most of the time, if I ask them, would you like to give your life to Christ? I'll get a no, but every once in a while I get a yes. And it's amazing when you're sharing your faith. I'm not talking about from the pulpit now, I just mean in sharing your faith. So we do want to be witnesses for him and I appreciate your heart in wanting to share Christ. and what happens is, is that the Holy Spirit brings things to your, to your memory. He brings all things that you've read about Jesus. And all of a sudden, and I don't know if this has ever happened to you, Dolly, where you begin to share Christ. And the next thing you know, scriptures are coming to your mind and things are just, just really going. And it's like the Spirit is moving and it's coming upon you to be able to share. And that's really what we want. It's the power of the Spirit that touches people anyway. Not wisdom we have, not knowledge we have. It's God moving. So the Bible says one man sows, another man waters, and God gives the increase. So all you want to do is sow seeds, water those seeds. You may be watering seeds somebody else planted. You may be planting seeds that somebody else waters, but God's going to give the increase. All right? So thank you again, Dolly. I really do appreciate that. Uh, We have another question from Keeping It Real. Keeping It Real, good to see you have seen you in a little while. Good to have you here. Keep it a real says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Oh, you're just giving a scripture. I see. Um, yeah, that's a great verse, right? All right, let's go ahead and take a look. So here we have a question from Zach. And he gives uh he gives us a reference. So uh, Zach says, um, in 1 Corinthians 2, 5, I felt like I was being guided to be solely spiritual. The more I confess my sin to the Lord, would that be a proper interpretation? So the more you confess your sins to God, the more spiritual you are. All right, well, I got a couple questions for you, Zach, but let's take a look at this. So, um, in fact, let's do it this way. I've got this set up. So let's go ahead and um, do it this way. Let me get there first, and then I'll put it up on the screen for you. I've got another way for us to get scriptures. I got stuck last week and didn't have a way to get them. So I wanted to set something else up and I've done that. First Corinthians. Um, This is um, the NIV version, right? And I think I can change that. Um, All right, let's go there, first Corinthians. And so we had two, two, all right? And Let's see. I'm going to change to the King James Version, a New King James Version. Sorry to take some time here. All right. First Corinthians 2, and then you say verse 15. So I'm going to go ahead and share this on the screen with you, and I'll get better at sharing this one. Let's see if this is going to work. So here we go. Let's start with verse 13 that says, um, these let's see these things we also speak and not in words which man's wisdom teach but which the holy spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned but he who is spiritual judges all things yet he himself is rightly judged by no one for who has known the mind of our lord that he may instruct him but we have a mind in christ all right so i'm trying to fit that in with um, your question let me bring this back on again in first corinthians two fifteen, i felt like i was being guided to be solely spiritual the more i confess my sins to the lord would that be a proper interpretation so i'm gonna say as far as a proper interpretation goes no um, verse uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 15 says, But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. So when you have a, a, a right relationship with Christ and you are walking with him and you're a spiritual man, you're not walking in the flesh, you're walking in the spirit, you are mindful of the things of the spirit, and you, you spiritually discern things. Uh, then you rightly judge all things. And you yourself are not rightly, you're right with God, so you are not judged by anyone. So that would be the proper interpretation of that. It says, for who knows not who is known the mind of the Lord, but he who instructs him, but we have the mind of Christ. Um, if you would like to be guided solely by the Spirit, Zach. So that's your desire. Your desire is to be solely guided by the Spirit of God. I think that's a good desire. Um, I don't know if I would, I don't know if I would separate the desire to be spiritual from a relationship with Christ. Because the Bible tells us that eternal life is knowing him, having that relationship with him, uh, receiving him, walking with him. We are now born again spiritually when we receive Christ. And We have to be born again to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And now we're spiritual. So I would rather be I want to do the things that God wants me to do. I want to love him and I want to follow him. And I want to see all the things that God has for me. That's how I would want to try to live and be spiritual. It says these things we also seek not in word with men's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. So when we are born again, we receive the things things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, nor uh, can he know them. So as we walk with Christ, develop a relationship with him, then we are spiritual, and as we are spiritual, then we have that relationship with him, and we walk with him. So I'm not gonna say, I'm gonna say that trying to confess your sins more and more does not make you more spiritual. Confessing your sins, getting right with God, and then staying right with God is a good thing keeping short accounts is a good thing but i don't know of a a passage that would say that we become more spiritual the more we confess things to him all right zach hopefully that makes sense feel free uh to give me an um a follow-up question if i haven't answered that um uh, enough for you all right um so we have a question from tony Tony says, "Um, was Jesus nailed to the wrist or the hand when he was crucified? Uh, I, Tony, am not an expert in the area of how a body would have to be pinned to a tree. I've heard probably like you have that they would have gone through the wrist and there's a bundle of nerves that are in there that would have made it incredibly painful, but that that area could support a body where the hand could not, <clears throat> it would it would tear out if it were put in the hand. Um, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, I I don't know. It's interesting. The shroud of Turin, which has a provenance of thirteen hundred years ago, twelve thirteen hundred years ago, has the nails in the wrist. So whether or not that's the genuine burial cloth of Christ, but from thirteen hundred years ago, when we wouldn't have the scientific evidence that we have today, about the you know how someone would be nailed to the cross um uh yeah so i so i don't know and i don't think the bible is specific enough when it talks about the being you know ha, here in my hands being that the wrist wouldn't be part of the hands so i don't think that we can get a biblical understanding of that um but i think most people are going to say he was crucified through the wrists because that can support the body. Um, I have thought about this before and thinking, depending on the nails that they used, um, c- could the hand support it and m- maybe I, I I just I just don't know. So I thank you uh, and good to have you here, by the way. Appreciate you. Thank you for your question. Uh, if you're joining us here for the first time, really good to have you. If you have a question, then you can write the word question in front of it and then write out the word, um, then write out your question, reread it, make sure that it makes sense before you submit it, and then go ahead and submit it and submit it with any references if you have them. Uh, so that we can take a look at them. So we have another question from uh, Psych Man. Let me look here first and see if we've got another question here from someone else, Psych Man. And if we don't, I'll go back and get it. looks like I'm coming to the end of our... um, Yeah, so I'm going to go back and do the Psych Man one. Um, Kay says, she's talking about frankincense. Maybe she has some information on what we're talking about. Frankincense, which is an incense, is a symbol of deity, while myrrh, is an embalming oil used as a symbol of death both gifts along with gold were gifts presented to kings at the time yeah and i would agree with that except that myrrh sometimes is used for perfume as well and myrrh may very well have been used in the incense as well i need to go back and look but you may have just looked this up okay um so yeah um Remember that Jesus also drank wine mixed with myrrh in it. All right, let's go back and get psych man. Second question. All right, and um, I will. I'm. I'm I want to look into uh, whether or not there's any way in which those things. Um, I'm good. I want to look up what any way in which those things, gold Frank Sister, and myrrh, can speak to to being a prophet. All right, that's what I I really want to look at. All right. Uh. So um. Was it a follow up psych man? Is that the question you had? Yeah, Psych Man says, I'm um, talking about um, the gentleman who asked if it was okay for him to live together. I would tell the guy, if you believe it's wrong, it's sin. If you don't uh, really believe, then it's okay for you. Um, yeah, I would, I would say the same thing in the beginning. If you believe it's sin, it's definitely wrong. Um, I'm try, just trying to think of what's pleasing to God, and biblically, what's pleasing to God. And so if they're presenting themselves as a couple, and they're living together, then maybe they should get married. And notice I put the word maybe in there, psych man, because I'm I'm just, I, I want to be really careful when speaking. I'm really careful when speaking for God. I can be really confident when I know there's a scripture that helps me, and that's what we want to do. But when we're talking for God, I would be very, very careful um, with that. So um, Rod says, another question from Rod. Rod says, Do you think Damascus will be wiped out prior uh, to the rapture? Yeah, this is an interesting question. So let me go ahead and go there. It's Isaiah 17.1. And let me get there. Isaiah 17.1. I don't think I'd be able to find Isaiah easy enough. There it is. Isaiah 17.1. Um, the burden against Damascus. Let me put this up on the screen. Let's read through this. Uh, The burden against Damascus. Behold, Damascus will will cease from being a city. It will be a ruinous heap. The city of Aror are forsaken, for they will be uh, for flocks which lie down, and no one will make them afraid. The fortress also will cease from Ephraim and the kingdoms from Damascus and the remnant of Syria. They will be as the glory of the children of Israel. They will be as the glory of the children of Israel, says the Lord of hosts. In that day it shall come to pass that the glory of Jacob will wane and the fatness of the flesh will grow lean. Okay, so let's just go back to the destruction of the city of Damascus. Um, Do I think that this is going to be before the tribulation period? Uh, I think this is like the Gog and Magog war. I think Damascus will be destroyed. Uh, but will it happen prior, will it happen in the tribulation period or prior to the tribulation period? Which I think the, the rapture, the rapture could happen before the tribulation period starts. Um, but I, I'm sorry, Rod, I'm going to have to give you the I don't know. Um, I, what I would like to do to try to determine this question would be to read all of those passages about Damascus. To go and just read through them and see if there's anything that could help me with the timing. And there might be, there might be something in there that you can look at and go, boy, this makes a statement that had to be before the tribulation period or that has to be in the tribulation period um, because of this statement uh, that was made here. What we do know is that future from today, just like Israel became a nation again and God caused its fields to flourish, so God will also um, destroy Damascus and it will, it will be destroyed. As far as I know, it has not, it's just still a city, it hasn't been destroyed. And um, so it will be, It will. it is something that we can look at in the future that is actually going to take place. Um, so Albert says, I thought because the prophets were martyred. All right, so let's put this in here. So we're thinking, we're, we're kind of talking through the idea that gold, frankincense, and myrrh given to Jesus was each given to him as a prophet, as a priest, and as a king. And I was talking about the, why would one of them be for a prophet? So frankincense is an in incense. Incense is offered by the priests. I think frankincense and myrrh are both in the anointing oil that is, that is used in the temple to anoint. And so because the prophets are, were martyred and Jesus himself will be a martyr and he'll be a prophet who is martyred, then myrrh would be used to pack around his body. Am I right in thinking myrrh? And it might it might even be frankincense and myrrh that was used for it. In that case, I think that these three could represent the prophet, the priest, and the king. I think it could be right, Albert. Uh, I would like to give it a little bit more um, time to look into it. Uh, but it makes sense to me that if if myrrh, represent, if myrrh is used in embalming and represents a prophet dying, then that would be the myrrh. Frankincense would be him as a priest and gold would be him as a king. Um, I also think there were th- different times in his life when gold, frankincense and myrrh were used, which could have been one of the reasons that they were given. Um, OK. All right. And, and Zach says, thank you very much, Pastor Robert. Um, all right. I, yeah, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, if you have anything, uh, just join us here and you can we can talk through things. All right. I would love to be a help uh, in any way that I can. Um, let me see. I'm going to take this um, question from Dallas Jari. And um, we'll look back at your question in a little while here. We've got just um, it's 58. So we've got just a couple minutes left. So we have a, a question from Dallas. Dallas says, is there a scripture that speaks of how to gauge our fellow brothers and sisters so that we may know that we keep company with fellow followers and not one who would bring us down so um yeah dallas that's a really good question Uh, i think we want you know bible says iron sharpens iron so we want someone who's going to help us out with our walk with christ i've had relationships with brothers in christ that have been challenging and taxing but they've ended up being really good for me. I've had other ones that have been more of a more of a struggle to me. Um, but in order to be in fellowship with someone who says they're a Christian, I would want there to be fruit and I would want our, our fellowship to be good. And if I felt like it was, when to use a modern cultural com, uh, uh, statement, if I felt like it was toxic, then whether or not they're a brother in Christ, I would back away from them. I am not afraid if I feel like a relationship isn't good to go, this isn't good for me. We've only got so much time. We've only got so many people that we can know. And I don't think we have to make a judgment as to whether or not they're a brother or sister to be able to say, I'm just going to back away and not have to make a big deal out of it. But you get to choose those that you spend time with. And you can easily just, you can easily draw boundaries. A lot of us are, find it very difficult to draw boundaries. So when, when someone says, you know, hey, let's go and do this, of just saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Because they're afraid they'll say why, and then you'll have to give some reason why. But of just saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to do it, of being good at drawing boundaries. And um, I, I've had to learn that over the years of being able just to say no um, and Again, you don't have to. Jesus said, "Don't you don't have to know, figure out the tares and the wheat before the harvest. At harvest time, they'll be figured out. But if you're hanging out with someone, a Christian, that's causing there to be bad fruit in your life, then rather than judging them, just saying, I would not rather not be around them and making a decision not to be around them. And Dallas, I don't think that we have to say to them, I'm not going to hang around you because you're bad for me. Although you might, right? You might just say, You know for whatever reason that there's something going on so again your question is is there a scripture that speaks how to gauge our fellow brothers and sisters so that we may know to keep company with fellow followers and not with anyone who would bring us down um yeah the bible talks about there being christians and non-christians together within the church and that my goal isn't to judge anybody as to whether or not they're a christian so i would say no there's not a scripture by which we can gauge people. I don't think God wants to give us that. we word to try to encourage them to have a real, genuine walk with Christ. And I, I don't want to judge anyone and anybody that says they're a Christian. I don't want to judge them. However, if we love Him, we keep His commandments. And it might be a lot easier to find those that are solidly His, except that some are very deceptive They may be doing certain things. And if there was a scripture that said you could do this and you would know they're Christians, all we know is the Bible says you'll know them by their fruit. And the only way to tell the fruit of someone is to spend seasons with them, right? Because there's a season of fruit. So that's the only way to spend time with them. So, yeah, I don't, um, the Bible doesn't have anything, but I I evaluate those I spend time with as to whether or not it's good or bad for me spiritually because I want to do those things that are edifying for me spiritually. All right? Thanks, Dallas. I appreciate it. And thank you guys. Good to have you here with us. We will have another Q&A, Lord willing, on Saturday. And uh, I'll take a look at the questions here. If any other questions come in, I might use one of those. I'll take a look at your question as well, Jari, uh, that you wrote. We generally take one question per person. Uh, Sometimes we make an exception to that, uh, but we generally do. But it's good to see you guys. We'll have a service in about an hour. We're in Revelation chapter 6, and we're going to be talking about the four horsemen. Uh, We're going to explain who these four horsemen of the Apocalypse are. It begins the Tribulation period. Jesus tears a seal and the, the white horse rides out into the Tribulation period. Here's another one. And the red horse rides out into the tribulation period. The third is torn. A black horse rides out into the tribulation period. And the final one is torn. And a pale green horse rides out into the tribulation period. And all of these are characteristics of the tribulation. And we'll be talking about those four horsemen tonight and explaining what they mean and what we can learn from them. Uh, You can join us online, uh, YouTube, Facebook, uh, uh, calvarytucson.com. Or you can, if you're in Tucson, you can come down. We have two services tonight one at six o'clock at the East Campus and one at 7.15 at the West Campus. You can go to calvarytucson.com to find them. But it's good to see you guys. Uh, stay close to Jesus. Love you. Uh, if um, uh, Hope that um, everything goes great. Uh, all right. And so um, really enjoyed it. I'm out and we'll see you guys here in just a little while for Revelation chapter six, verses one through eight, the four horsemen explained. All right, God bless you guys.